everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm here every week. My name's Jeff. He over there, he is my uh, my other co-host that is here every week, Mark A. Johnson. Mark, welcome back, sir. Oh, it is good to be back. Um, I had a little bit of a time off there. A little depressing that we're supposed to have pitchers and catchers have having reported, but there's nothing to see here. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not upset yet because I just spring training's boring unless you're there. I mean, you know they're getting ready. That the the first day of spring training games are exciting for the first two innings, and then, and then I'm just ready for opening day. But that is in danger. They've already postponed some spring training games. We don't really have a whole lot of movement. We'll see. We'll see if uh, if opening day happens. But. Mark, we're a baseball history podcast, so if baseball were to cease existence right now, we're still in business. Right, we can still talk about baseball all we want. Yeah, we, we'd be like the only show in town then. That's right. Well, it's okay. We'll just move on. Let's talk about baseball. That's good. Uh, <laughs> We got a couple of things here in BP before we get into the main part of our show this week. A couple of these have been kind of sitting in my inbox for a while. We definitely need to talk about email. We can be reached via email, and a couple of, of people have reached out to us, and we want to we want to talk about those. But before we get to those, let's get into our regular part here, a little bit of BP. So, Mark, I'm trolling. I'm not trolling. I'm scrolling. Those words rhyme. My timeline on social media the other day. And a picture of a baseball card from the 1994 top set comes up. And it's none other than Ricky Jordan. You remember Ricky Jordan? Sure. Mainly with the Phillies is is where I remember him. Well, on the back of his 1994 tops card, there is a very strange story. Okay. I had not seen this before. I did a little bit of research into it. Couldn't find a whole lot of information about it. I hit up our friends over at Baseball Card Backs. Andy loves these kind of things, and I figured he had tweeted about this at some point, and he had a couple of years back, but this is what it says on the back of Ricky Jordan's 94 Tops card. After having his jaw wired shut when he was hit by a line drive in spring training of 1992, Ricky missed solid food so badly, he made a seafood milkshake in a blender, drank it, and got sick. <laughs> that's that's what they found for the back of the this card. is on the back of a baseball card <laughs> ricky 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 <laughs> now first of all you know what one of the things that triggers me faster than anything else is when anybody talks about ricky henderson and they spell his name r-i-c-k-y Right now, Ricky Jordan spells his name that way. This is one of the few, you know, Ricky Jordan, Ricky Ricardo. There's very few acceptable spellings of Ricky without the E. This is one of them. But how would you like it if if you got a baseball card and on the back of it, it's talking about you making a octopus and scallop milkshake and then making yourself sick? I, I just, yeah, that's uh, interesting that they would put that on there. I'm just wondering what mine would say. Uh, Mark tried to put a toasted cheese sandwich in the blender and got it all over himself, cut his fingers, and then puked all over his sister. You think they'd put that on the back of a baseball Burnt card? bottom of foot on George, uh, George Foreman grill while trying <laughs> to make bacon in the morning from bed? There you go. Yeah. 
a little office reference for you. So I, <laughs> I just mm-hmm. think that's hilarious. They could come. I mean, yes, that I love that it's there because that's what we like to talk about. But were the were the people at Tops just unable to come up with anything else? <laughs> I mean, if you look at Ricky Jordan's Wikipedia page, you might think that might be his highlight because there is nothing there about anything, let alone a wired jaw. He did. I did find out it was Ruben Amaro Jr. It was a line drive in spring training that got him in the uh, got him in the jaw. So Ruben Amaro Jr. started the entire seafood milkshake trend. Craze, yeah, it's sweet. Now, how did that not end up on an episode of the Goldbergs either? That's a good point. I don't know. This this season's been pretty weak. I think they could have really spiced it up with with this kind of storyline. But all right, uh, Mark, I told you before we came on. I've been watching cricket again as I tend to do. I was watching it this morning. Then I watched uh, I watched the Daytona 500. It's like the, the one NASCAR race I generally will watch, at least have on from start to finish. I generally take a nice nap in the middle of it. But something in common with both of these broadcasts is they were both using drones during the event. So NASCAR, hmm. it's great. I mean, you just keep, you got to keep the drone kind of on the infield. In case it crashes, you don't want it to to cause a pileup. But cricket fascinated me. It was awesome. Now, first of all, in cricket, it's a it's a round field, and you're playing in the middle of it, so there are no foul balls like baseball. So you know, it's not like you can park a drone on the field and not worry about being in play if you if you're doing it for a cricket match it, you sometimes you try to hit the ball straight back because there's generally not a fielder there right so i'm wondering how does this how would this work in baseball because do i want it in baseball absolutely first day of spring training i do because it's <laughs> it just gives a very unique perspective so this was my thought you park it really high up above second base and then that guy, the, whoever is operating that, that drone has got to be very alert to be able to move that thing. If it's a fly ball to center field, you got to get you got to get out of the way really yeah. quick. Yeah, no doubt. I don't know. Maybe you have to park it beyond center field until the ball's put in play. And then it can like just race in to wherever the play is. I don't know. I think this has got to happen. This is a great. It really gives you some some angles you've never seen before of some of these sports. It's a cool idea. I, I had a run-in with a drone once that I was shooting a music video and I, I was running away from the drone shooting me from behind and it crashed and smacked into my legs. Well, so, drones can't go that slow. And so it just it couldn't help but catch up with you is what you're telling us. Uh, yeah, that hurts. Okay, maybe it was that. Well, I, I mean, do you remember there used to be catcher cam and umpire cam? It was not sure, used yeah. very much. But that yeah. was a thing because just last week I saw a catcher cam, some catcher cam footage of Ricky Henderson hitting a, a home run. So that tells you how long ago it was in use, huh. but it, it never really caught on. No, it was pre GoPro. I think drones are going to probably be part of part of a broadcast here pretty soon. And I'm here I'll for it. I like it. I'll certainly give you a different look at the game. I, I like the idea. All right. Now, so we've got this is usually when we would go into kangaroo court if we were to do kangaroo court. And uh, I I am going to mention something here because one of our longtime listeners 
one of our great listeners done some great things for us, sent in some custom baseball packs for wax packs and stuff. Our friend Marshall, who loves to get us, he didn't just <laughs> DM us a problem that he wanted to take us to court with from last week's episode. He went into Photoshop and, you know, got a clip art kangaroo. He's got some points <laughs> here with asterisks by them. And he has posted this for the world to see on social media. So he is claiming that last episode, we were talking about Jesse Barfield, and I supposedly, with a slip of the tongue, said that they were teammates for the Astros, when obviously they were teammates with the, with the Blue Jays. I remember talking about this because what we were also talking about is that they were teammates in Japan for the Yamiuri Giants in 1993. He wants to assess us a fine of four dollars and ten cents for the four hundred and ten combined home runs between uh, both Mosby and Barfield over their careers. Now, this is the thing: Kangaroo Court is here if we legitimately screw something up. If it's a slip of the tongue, eh, you know you can call us out, but you can't find us. So, Marshall, we are going to go ahead and we're going to we're going to flip this around. We're going to fine you four dollars and 20 cents. So you owe us 10 cents. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I'm I'm sure I said Astros. I'm sure. Obviously, I didn't mean that way. We've talked about them being teammates on the Blue Jays several times. This did, though, lead me. And by the way, Marshall on Twitter, his account following one one account. And that's ours. Now, that is a good, good listener. Right That's there. dedication is what that is. Yes. Now, I'm not saying that everybody else that follow us needs to go and remove everybody else they follow and just follow us. But to you, Marshall, we salute you. That's right. All right. Let's move on. Mark, let's talk about some emails before we get into the main part of the show today, which is up to you. And every week as we as we end the show, we give out all our social media and our email address for those. And surprisingly enough, a lot of people like to still use email, which is great. Well, several weeks ago, if you remember, we were talking about Rick Cerrone. I think of him as, as, as primarily a backup catcher for the Yankees is when I think mm -hmm. of Rick Cerrone. Yep. And we were talking about music. This is kind of on the heels of the Ruben Sierra discovery of his great music. And uh, we found this song by Rick Cerrone called The Long Run Home. And I mentioned that I was unable to find a copy of this. I had spent almost an entire day on the internet trying to find a copy of this and could not do it. Well, I also mentioned in that episode about an old GeoCities website that I had come across that had just some fawning prose about Rick and his singing, and it even had a phone number you could call. You could listen to the song. It was obviously no longer working, but we, we talked about this. Well, prepare to marvel at the power of the internet because we received an email from the author of that silver-tongued prose, a one Ferdinand Cesarano? Cesarano? Cesarano. Ferdinand Cesarano, who, if you can't tell, is Italian, just like Rick Cerrone. Now, Ferdinand is the Rick Cerrone version of Mark to Nolan Ryan, plus me to Ricky Henderson times infinity. That's right. His email signature includes a caricature of Rick from his heyday with that glorious head of hair and that two-point wax packs hero mustache. Just, it's awesome. I think he drew it. I would assume he drew it. 
he described to us in this email his long-held fandom for for Cerrone. And he told us all about his all-Italian fantasy teams. And he provided even more just flowery praise for Rick, which was awesome. This guy is, he loves Rick Cerrone, which we can all relate to here. He was also uh, very gracious and sent us a copy of the Long Run Home, the song. I found a little bit more information. We're going to play it here in a minute, but I found a little bit more information from an article from February of 1981 where Cerrone explained that this is a ballad of his return to Yankee Stadium on a stormy, snowy day in midwinter. He goes there hoping to see the face of a girl in the stands whom he had noticed during the season. This is a great story, and we're here for Rick Cerrone. Obviously, that's what we do here, but Rick... You're going to Yankee Stadium in the middle of winter, hoping that a fan who was there during the season is for some reason still there? It, it said it was a snowy winter day, so maybe he's hoping that she's like frozen to her seat and unable to leave even if she wanted to. Or, or just completely and utterly dedicated, not going to leave until they got that World Series. <laughs> I'm not giving up my seat until they win. All right, so regardless... Let's take a quick listen here to 18-year Major League veteran catcher Rick Cerrone and the long run home. Snow now hides the bleachers from this empty dugout scene. But here I stand remembering when the infield grass was green. I can almost hear the organ playing carols for the team. And it's a long run home this winter's day. So we'll, uh, I think this is probably going to be our, in, our outro music this week. So if you want to hear the rest of it, just stick around. Oh, I hope you stick around to the end of the show anyway, but we'll we'll throw the whole thing on at the end of the show. But once again, just like Ruben Sierra, Mark, I did not expect that. <laughs> Obviously, everyone has talent that you might not know about, but for a major league catcher, a good singing voice is just not something that I generally expect. You don't find it on the major league catcher resume. No. No. Nor on, on the that. back of their baseball cards. No, but it may say if they ate a seafood yeah. milkshake, that could happen. That's fair game. Absolutely. But again, we want to thank Ferdinand. Thank you so much for the information as well as, of course, the actual copy of the song. That is that is great. And that is really cool that somehow our little segment made its way to somebody that we were talking about and, and got some extra, you know, some extra info about it. One more thing about email. We also got word that our episode on Mo Drabowski, who we deemed the patron saint of this podcast, eventually got passed along to his family. It made its way to his uh, to his some members of his family. A friend of the Drabowski family sent us a great email saying that they'd listened and enjoyed our podcast where we talked about some of Mo's great hijinks. So... I just think that is so cool that uh, that people that we talk about or subjects that we talk about, it eventually makes their, you know, makes its way to these these people. And we get some some nice emails. Yeah, you just you never know. And every time I go to check the emails, I'm like, well, let's see what this one brings us. 
Yeah, because uh, it's, it's anything from kangaroo court to uh, just nice people saying they listen to the show to Mo Drabowski's daughter. Yeah, I don't think we've gotten a bad email. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. But I don't think we've gotten a bad email. Yeah, don't don't try to be the one that wants to send in. Yeah, the first you don't want to be the first. Don't don't do that. All right, Mark, before we get into trivia, I want to just do something. I'm going to ask you a question. A trivia question that is not our official trivia question, but I just, I don't know why I was thinking about this guy earlier this week, and I was trying to remember the teams that he had played for, and I could only come up with half of them. I'm going to ask you the same question that I thought of, and I'm going to let you think for the rest of this show, and before we sign off, at the end, while we're giving the email address and all our socials and stuff, I will, I will give you the answer. I'll, I'll let you answer first and see if you can do it. But I was trying to think of how many teams can you name that David Cohn played for? Hmm. Because well, this one, this, this shocked me that I did not get. I, I only got 60% of them. And really? David Cohn's, a, he's right in our wheelhouse, too, in terms of, you know, uh-huh. 80s, 90s, 2000s. So... I'm going to let you think about that. And uh, before we sign off, I want to hear what you come up with. And no, no baseball reference. No, no interneting. Just see if you can do it. Because I could not. But I can think uh, of four. But it sounds like there may be more than that. There are. I'm going to tell you that. And I did not even come up with four. <laughs> but just think about that. And listeners, think about that. And then, uh, you know, let us know. Did you come up with all of them when we tell you at the end of the show? But Mark, let's get to our trivia here really quick. Last week, we asked a question about Henry Aaron. 755 career home runs. Obviously, baseball fans know that number very well. How many of them were inside the park home runs? Our listeners, being very astute, (laughs) remembered. (laughs) I think a lot of them remembered our show about inside the park home runs and might have been able to glean the answer from that. But, Mark, do you you remember? I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. All right, well, take a guess between zero and one. How many? I'm going to go with one. There you go. Nice. You're, you <laughs> got another it. streak going now. Let's see if you can see if you can continue it with the David Cohn uh, question at the end of the show. But that's right. Of his 755 career home runs, one of them was an inside the Parker. It was May 10th, 1967. Aaron hit his lone inside the park job against Larry Jackson of the Phillies. Aaron was not known for his speed, and somebody had once described his running style as that of Ron Say, who, of course, was nicknamed the Penguin because of the way he ran. Now, did did Ron Say, did he, where did he go to high school? Do you remember? Ron Say, uh, yeah, I heard a rumor he went to Mount Tahoma High School here in Tacoma, Washington, which also graduated yours truly. I Now, do you, where did he go? To where do you play college ball? Um, someplace nearby here, I think. Um, <laughs> I wish it was nearby when I was driving across the state to go to the Rolling Stones concert in the middle of a snowstorm. But of course, <laughs> uh, Ron Say played at Washington State University, my alma mater. But there you go. Uh, I was shocked at how many stolen bases for somebody that's considered slow, Henry Aaron ended up with 240 in his career. Wow. With a career high of 31 in 1963. And he was only wow. caught five times. So that's really? impressive. <laughs> Even at age 36, he stole nine bases and was caught zero. Wow. 
I didn't think about that, but uh, mm. yeah, he's got some. He's got that the the uh, unsuspected speed. He doesn't look fast, and he isn't, but he catches you off guard, I guess. All right, we got a bunch of uh, a bunch of listeners with the right answer here. Brian Krause, Chris Cook, Andrew Harner, and Marco Signs. Uh, all came in. I feel like I'm missing somebody. And if I did, I, I apologize. I thought we had more than just four people get that one right. But uh, new question for you, Mark, outside of, of course, the David Cohn question. Here it is. Uh, I want you to think about this for next week. Ricky Henderson, you've probably heard about him before. R-I-C-K-E-Y, mm-hmm. Ricky, stole third base 322 times. The most of anybody in terms of stealing third base. Who has the most career stolen bases without ever stealing third base? Oh. <laughs> so this doesn't mean that they didn't try to steal third base. It right, means right. that they were never successful. Right. Now, this came up because on our, our Ricky post today until the lockout ends, I'd been doing some stolen base statistics that I'd been digging up. And this came up. I did. It's not on our timeline, so don't bother looking there. But most career stolen bases without ever successfully stealing third base. The good question. I like this one. That's a tough one. It is. And I don't think you're going to just be able to Google that because I found this in an article about something completely different. Nice. So, Beautiful. so get digging. Let us know. We'll give you uh, all the information how to get a hold of us at the end of the show. But right now, Mark, BP's done. They've uh, got the field ready to go. We've already sung the anthem, and now we're going to hand it over to you to start us off. Well, I feel like we should have an organ music base. Uh, I'm going to talk about the demise of the Louisville Slugger. Mm. Yes. Now, when you when you were working for the Braves. Did, were most people using Louisville Slugger bats still? No. Or do you recall? No. When I was when I was there in Atlanta, it was right kind of at the beginning when everybody had different bats. Yeah. And I remember I I got to dig it up. One of my my best souvenirs is Brian Jordan struck out, and he did the Bo Jackson thing and broke the bat over his knee, and he yeah. just tossed both pieces, and the handle part landed up in the rotational machine behind home plate of which I was responsible for. And I found it there and I've kept it. It's in a box somewhere around here, but (laughs) it is not a Louisville slugger. So yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. There's a million of them. Right. When I was working in the minor leagues, uh, I would say 85% of all bats were Louisville slugger bats. Um, They were just everywhere. Do you know how many people in the major leagues use a Louisville slugger bat anymore? I'm going to go with the, the Henry Aaron number of one. <laughs> <laughs> that would be zero. Nobody, nobody can use them. Nobody uses Louisville Slugger bats in the big leagues anymore. I'll give you a little background first before I tell you why. Uh, there was a guy named J.F. Hillerich, and he had a, a woodworking shop in Louisville back in the 1850s. And then it came along, he had a son, and he hired a 17-year-old son, to work in the mill, they made wood products, you know, just your average everyday stuff, wood products. But uh, his son, Bud, was a big, big baseball fan. So I know we can all relate to him. So he, he snuck out one day during work and he went to watch Louisville, who, who had a major league baseball team, the, the Louisville Eclipse. They had this big star on their team named Pete Browning. 
nicknamed the Louisville Slugger. Oh, nice So, nickname. yes, Pete Louisville Slugger Browning. He was in a big slump, broke his bat, but being also very astute, says, hey, well, let's go back to my father's shop and maybe we can create you a new bat. So he said, okay, cool. They go back. They make him a bat. He gets three hits the next day to break out of the slump. Very first day he uses the bat. He's successful with it. So he starts telling his teammates, this is where to get your bats. And there's a surge of professional baseball players that want to get these bats from the Hiller family. The thing is, JF, the dad, he was not really interested in making bats. He just didn't see that as a way uh, to, to provide for the family. You know, he was he wanted to make stair railings and porch columns and so on. So he actually, during the 1880s, he stopped making the bats. But Bud talked him into uh, making the bats again after that. And they made them under the name Falls City Slugger. And that's how they went for a while until Bud, the son, took over the father's company in 1894. And he called it Louisville Slugger and registered it with the U.S. Patent Office. So then we actually had the Louisville Slugger bat. And it was being used by professional baseball players everywhere. In 1905, Honus Wagner signed a deal with Louisville Slugger, becoming the first, most likely the first American athlete to get an endorsement deal for sports equipment. Now, did his brother Butts get this deal too? Or I, I, I tried. I searched and searched and I couldn't find out. Mm-hmm. Butts Wagner. Because that would have probably just put him over the top if Butts Wagner was using these. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so so I thought that was pretty cool. You got your endorsement deal. After that, they just couldn't keep him in stock. Uh, he was selling more bats than any other bat maker at all. Some some of the players that came to him for bats, Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, uh, Lou Gehrig, they all used this, uh, this bat that was the most popular called the R43. And uh, that's the Babe Ruth bat, the R43. Is the R stand for Ruth, do we think? Do we know? Um, I We don't know, but I'm going to say... Yes, and start that rumor myself. So <laughs> <laughs> they they eventually said, you know, while well, with baseball season, when baseball's off, we don't make a lot of bats as much. You know, there's a lull. Let's make golf clubs. So they actually built the Power Built brand for clubs. Really? Yes. Power Built was created by the same people who do Louisville Sluggers. The Masters tournament was one with a with Power Built brand uh, for years, for one, two, three, four years, I see. And then during World War II, they produced uh, wooden rifle stocks and billy clubs. They were diverse in what they would make. It wasn't just baseball bats. I thought that was really cool because those are some pretty decent golf clubs right there. Oh, and they're still in use. Mm-hmm. Golf clubs are just like baseball bats these days. Everybody, there's like 8,000 brands. But I know Power Built is when I play uh, when I play Top Golf on my VR set. You can you can uh, use your mm-hmm. Power Built. In uh, in 2016, they actually sold the Power Built Golf Club division to Hillco Stream Bank. Still the uh, still the Power Built, but uh, Hillary and and Bradsby don't, or Louisville Slugger they they don't make it anymore. But they did at one point. Here's where things get kind of sad. Over 90 percent of the bats ever made by Louisville Slugger Company. Uh, were made out of the northern white ash tree. And the northern white ash grows in around the New York-Pennsylvania border. And now today, as I said before, according to the fourth generation, Bobby Hillerich, not, not one major leaguer is swinging an ash Louisville slugger in any games whatsoever. 
The last two Ashbat users in the big leagues were Joey Votto and Evan Longoria. Longoria eventually switched to me. Votto, on the other hand, does not want to switch. And I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. So what happened to all the ash bats? Well, the ash trees were looking bad. They were looking limp and uh, just not doing so well. They had thinning canopies, yellow leaves, and they had little holes in the bark. And so they sent some entomologists from Michigan State University to find out what was going on. Well, they peeled back the outer bark of the tree, and there's all these bright green beetles in there. And, and tunnels and the, the larvae have been feeding off the tree. So these trees were being taken over by these beetles that no one had any idea what they are. So the experts, they took some photos and some, some of the specimens and sent them to the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian said, yeah, we don't know what they are either. They eventually found an expert, uh, an entomologist who said, yeah, these are, these are the um, Agrelius planipennis. All right. The emerald ash borer. So he was, he was boring in many ways. We've um, been, you know, we've been called those names too. Just. Yeah. I've been called an ash borer. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, the, they came from China, these beetles somehow, and the ash trees in China have learned to resist these, these beetles, but uh, the ones in the U S were not ready for it. And they think that what happened was these beetles were brought to the U S on wooden pallets or some kind of packaging materials and the pallets ended up outside warehouses in the Westland area. And that's the perfect place for the ash border to get loose and destroy a lot of ash trees. They were discovered. These beetles were discovered then in the ash trees of Michigan. Now the ash borer has spread to 35 States, six Canadian provinces and Washington, DC. Five of the six most prominent ash tree species in North America are now included in the International Union for Conservation of Nature's Red List of Threatened Species. The demise of Louisville Slugger was all about the demise of this wonderful tree. And when you don't have the tree, you can't make the ash bats anymore. So everybody started changing to maple, birch, etc. I believe, didn't Barry Bond switch to maple? And that, uh, sure. I'm trying to remember that. <laughs> and it caused like a stir. I, I can't Mrs. remember. Maybe Maple, not. Mrs. Butterworth was involved in this. Yeah, some big thing. Yeah, yeah. She, she took her own sweet time. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got Joey Votto. Votto tries out different, different types of wood, bats. He doesn't like any of them. He finds that the bat company Marucci has between 50 and 70 ash bats that are in good condition. He goes, he buys every last one of them. He's got them stored in a room temperature, temperature controlled, dark room. And he's hoping they'll last him until he retires. 95% of the bats they made at Louisville Slugger were ash. So when ash was gone, it was game over. I don't know if those bats are going to make it because with the universal DH coming, Joey's probably going to play for another 10 years. That's a, that's a good possibility. Every time he breaks one, I imagine he just feels the pain. Yeah. It's like breaking his arm, you know? Are, now, um, do you know our ash bats? Are those the one, like I remember Pete Rose would bone his bats. Like he had this huge, yes. it was almost like he was planing the bat on it. Is that, mm -hmm. those are the ash bats? Yes. Northern ash wood is perfect for boning. Exactly. Got it. That's what they would use it for and it would take to it real well. Yeah, and it would keep it from chipping and so on like that. I, now, so, I, I don't expect you to know this, but does Joe, do we know, does Joey Votto do that to his bats? Is that still a thing? 
I don't know. We'll have to ask him when he comes on the show. Yeah, if somebody could just pass this episode along to Joey Votto. And we'd like to discuss yeah, the, uh, like to know. the ash borer. So what we have today is uh, made up of, of bats, about 87% maple and 12% birch. So that leaves you with, you know, a small percentage that could actually be ash, which is probably just Joey Votto. Yeah, maybe cherry wood. Uh, yeah. Uh, a nice, uh, bam- just bamboo factor in here at all. Any bamboo bats. I looked and I couldn't find any bamboo bats. They do grow quickly. That's mm. what I heard. What about particle board? <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> that's what I use my entire career, or at least it felt like it. So anyway, man, that's what happened. If you ever wondered what happened to Louisville slugger and it sort of fell off the face of the earth for me, it was crazy because when I worked in the minor leagues, everybody used Louisville slugger and it was a big deal. I think McGuire, I, ha- I had a McGuire Louisville slugger bat. Uh, and then he signed that big deal with, was it Rawlings? And he had all those Rawlings bats that were so cool. It could be. I I, I know in the minor leagues, I remember back in the day, Louisville Slug would just ship boxes of yeah. just bats. And, you know, there were different models, but there were no names on them or anything. And the players would just use them and then they'd become they'd become particular to one of the models. And then when they got to the big leagues, then Louisville Slugger would send them that model with their name on it and and so forth. I, in my hands right here, I have got a Louisville Slugger I'm holding right now with my name on it, my signature Mm -hmm. on it. I have a couple of those. I, this is my gifts. Yeah, I've got, let's see, I've also got a Wade Boggs. I've got a Tony Gwen, but this one is my favorite one because it's, it's black. All my others are, are natural. Uh, color but this one's got my signature on it and i keep this in my office and i will be on a conference calls and i'll pace around with this in my hand and i love it yep that's awesome i have one uh two of them actually that were gifts from uh from the tacoma baseball team and and it is cool it helps me think to walk around with my louisville sweater i I think tom cruise does that in a few good men too yes that's right i remember that and i think he got that from us is what i'm I'm sure he did yeah he takes a lot of notes on uh, my work. I know that for sure. It's fun to pretend. Anyway, so there you go, man. I'm going to warn you not to go out looking for any Louisville slugger bats because okay. I don't think you're going to find any. If you find a Mariucci, is it Mariucci? Like Steve Mariucci? I, Mariucci, I know the brand. Yeah. I just don't know how to say it. Uh, if you find any Ash versions, let uh, let Joey know. Yeah, he'd probably even offer you a gift card. Yeah, to, to Chili's or something. But uh, so, Mark, you told me we did a whole episode on bats way back when. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the history of bats. But this was a lot more more focused and, and very interesting. I when when you told me about this, I went and just did a little bit more looking around the Internet on bats. And I found some interesting stuff on bat names because we have you know, we've talked about baseball players. They're a strange bunch. They name a lot of things. I do. I am likewise because I always wanted to be a baseball player. I name everything. I name my cars. I name my chef's knife. I name everything. I found a couple of names I I was not aware of. So you mentioned Babe Ruth in the R34 model that he swung. Yes, R43. R43. Yeah. R. I think I said, I don't want to get nicked in kangaroo court by, by Marshall. Did say 34, <laughs> but you. I was thinking Nolan Ryan. That's what it is. Babe Ruth's uh, bat was called the War Club and the Holy Grail. 
which those are great names. It was 54 ounces, the War Club. That is huge. I think most most guys are swinging 34, 36 ounces in the big leagues, right? Yeah, unless you're Mule Suttles, then you swing a 50-ouncer. Yeah, but a 54, that is, I mean, you're getting a workout. Plus, if you put a donut on that and, you know, the on-deck circle, I'd be too tired to, to go up to the plate myself. Just drag it up there. Yeah, just <laughs> kick it. Uh, let's see, Joe DiMaggio and Ty Cobb, they both used 42-ounce bats. Uh, some other bats that have been named, of course, Black Betsy. The famous bat of Joe Jackson, Black oh, yes. Betsy. Of course, you can't forget Wonder Boy yeah. from Roy Hobbs. I mean, Hall of Famer Roy Hobbs. And, of course, the Savoy Special <laughs> made yes. by Bobby Savoy, that bratty little bat the boy. The bat boy that made the uh, the bat that won the whole deal. Yeah. Uh, let's see. R.A. Dickey. Now, this is, you know, R.A. Dickey obviously was a pitcher, knuckleballer, pitcher. <laughs> He had a couple of names for his bats. He played in the in the National League for for a time. And according to the articles I found, one of them was named Orcus the Goblin Cleaver, which is from The Hobbit. Now, I It is. <laughs> I have I have seen the movies. I have not read the book. I know I'm going to mispronounce it. So, I am sorry to my lord uh, to our Lord of the Rings uh, listeners. Orcist, I think, is how because uh, it's got the word orc in it. The goblin cleaver, which is awesome. Orcist, yeah, I believe. And he had another one that was called. I'm not sure if it's hunting or runting. It's from Beowulf. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I, I like those names. He is a uh, kind of a geek in in those terms let's see I, I just wanted to look at his batting record here for R.A. Dickey a lifetime 169 hitter not much power three doubles that that <laughs> 184 uh, on base and a 180 slugging percentage mm -hmm. so clever names aside they were not much of a weapon in his hands mm. so again cool name uh, not so much a, a weapon in his hands and then the last one I I found here was uh, George Foster, outfielder oh, yeah. for the Reds. He was nicknamed first of all the Destroyer. He went up there and he swung a black bat, and he had two names for them. One was Black Death, which is awesome, <laughs> <laughs> and the other was the Foster Finish, which seems more like a a finishing move in wrestling than a bat name. The or, or it could death. have been what he shellacked the bat with the Foster Finish. The Foster Finish, yeah. The Black Death, though, I think is just awesome. Yes. That is a great, great name. All right. Well, that'll do it for our uh, our Louisville Slugger bat names portion of this uh, of this episode. That was very interesting. I did not know most of that stuff. So thank you, Mark. Mm. Let us now jump into uh, into the kind of the final segment. This is what everybody waits for. Uh, you know what time it is. It is time for everybody's favorite cardboard and wax-based 1v1 co-host v co-host exhibition. It is time for Wax Heroes. All right, before we get into it, let's review the rules. Mark and I will both be opening a pair of baseball cards, generally from the junk wax era. 
We will look at these cards and get credit for each player's baseball reference war from the year of the pack we are opening. However, whoever has the highest war total at the end is proclaimed the winner, but there are some qualifiers that can add or subtract from your score if the player is wearing real stirrups that we can see sanitary socks beneath. That's an extra tenth of a point of war because that's good, but if they are wearing the dreaded two-in-ones, that is minus half a point. Noah's Frio. If they have anything around their eyes, meaning sunglasses, glasses, glasses, a monocle, or even goggles, extra tenth of a point of war. If they're wearing sweatbands with their jersey number or caricature on them, extra tenth of a point of war for each. If that player won an award that season, MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Gold Glove, or was an all-star, extra tenth of a point of war for each. And if that player now has a plaque in the hallowed grounds of Cooperstown, New York, you get a whole point of war because that there is a Hall of Famer. And finally, Mark and I will each pick a team. If we get a player from that team, we get an extra half a point of war. But if we get a player from the other person's team, we minus half a point. Mark, with that, which team are you picking? This week, my friend, I have decided I got to, after an embarrassing loss last week, I got to shake it up. I'm going with the Oakland Athletics. Ouch. Oh, okay. Well, then I am going to have to likewise take a stab at your heart, and uh, I am going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> Caught me off guard there. <laughs> I, that's just the first team that wasn't the Astros or the Mariners uh, that I could come up with, so I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Now, uh, today we are opening some Don Russ cards from 1990. Now, Mark, we have had an influx of donated wax packs. <laughs> Yeah, uh, one of our uh, one of our listeners, a, a listener that is currently making his way through our, our entire backlog, which is very impressive. Friend of mine here in the Bay Area, Jeff Shamrock, who is a huge baseball card collector. And I'm not talking just baseball cards. I am talking PSA graded important baseball cards. <laughs> uh, nice. I, happened to go to dinner with him and his wife the other night and he he brought a uh, Pete Rose rookie card with him uh, nice. amongst others he uh, he also brought uh, several cards of shows uh, that we have dedicated to players that I had never seen cards before but he has given us a couple of boxes of unopened <laughs> wax packs from the uh, from the 80s and 90s so we are set for the next probably six years <laughs> for Wax Wax Heroes. Uh, so Jeff Shamrock, thank you very much for that. Let's get right into this, Mark. This is the, as I said, 1990 Donruss. These are 16 cards in these packs, so we're each going to need to lose six. Looking at the scoreboard right now, I blew you away uh, last week, finally, to creep yeah. up to nine wins. You're sitting pretty. You're, you've got a six-game lead with 14 you only need six more wins, and you will be a three-time defending champion. I got two packs here, Mark. Left hand, right hand. Which one would you like? Going with the left. Going with the left. All right. I'm going to let you go first. What would you like to... Who would you like to lose? The first or the last six? Ditch the last six. Last six. All right. This is going to determine how I play it. Because last last week, you lost some good players. And so yes, I went I the did. opposite way. So let's see. Uh, I can't tell who the puzzle pieces are for on this and I don't remember uh, Carl Yastrzemski puzzle pieces so if you need uh, 25 26 27 let me know before we finish recording uh, all right you said last six yes all right so you sir are going to be losing the lemmer Mark Lemke 
Terry Mulholland, Mike Devereaux, uh-oh, MVP card, George Bell. That one could hurt. Ooh. Bobby Ojeda and Chris Bazio. Ooh. Some good names. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, know. You know, the, the, the Bell might hurt you, but the rest of them, you know, good names, but I'm not sure if they're going to hurt or help you that right. much. Let's see here. You are going to start off with a Diamond Kings, which uh, okay. is automatically going to get you points for stirrups because we can't tell if they're real or not. But here he is, Mr. Dan Gladden. Oh, Dan Gladden. Boy, I, I hadn't thought about that guy in a while. I was a uh, left fielder for the Minnesota Twins. Twins, and I remember the Giants. Yes. Uh, it looks like he finished his career also in Detroit. But uh, Dan <laughs> Gladden, a.k.a. Dazzle, the Dazzle Man, or Wrench. Okay, that's an odd selection. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with any of those. He's a San Jose boy, Dan Gladden. Let's see. So in 1990, he was with the Twins. Uh, no awards or all-stars that year. 136 games, 27 doubles, 5 home runs, 25 stolen bases, a 275 average, 314 on base, 376 slugging for an 88 OPS plus, And uh, all of that equals a war of minus 1.1. Here we go again. That's how I started last week. You do have, well, this is even worse. That's a full minus one. Uh, you ah. do get the uh, the positive for uh, for the stirrups, though. So you, you've got that going for you. But that's a hole right off the bat. How do you get a Diamond King if you had a war, a negative war? Well, remember, that's the Diamond up. King is generally based on the year before. Right. So let's see. In 1989, he hit 295. 410 slugging and a 103 OPS plus for a 1.4 war. Hmm. So, wow, <laughs> back to back seasons, that was a 2.3, no, actually a 2.5 war swing. That's a, it's a big swing. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, let's see, of course, Dan Gladden, member of the World Series team for the Twins in 87 and 91. Also went on to play for the Yamayuri Giants, and he won a uh, Japan Series championship there in 1994. So uh, you, you're in the hole to start out with. Next, you're going to get a guy, I'm not sure this guy's going to help you out a whole lot, outfielder for the Tigers, Tracy Jones. Tracy Jones, like a fifth outfielder? Let's see, Tracy Jones, six years in the big leagues. You'll never guess uh, what team he ended his career with. <laughs> Judging from what you're saying, I'm going to guess the Mariners. <laughs> well, you know, we've already kind of hinted that he was an average at best player. 1990 was his uh, second to last year. He spent 90 and 91 with the Mariners, only appeared in 25 games, hit 302 on base of 341 and a slugging percentage of 419 for a 112 OPS plus. All of that will equal a 0.5. So actually exponentially better than than Dan Gladden. Very nice. I appreciate that, Tracy. <laughs> Jones was a co-host of a popular afternoon radio show in Cincinnati, along with uh, Marty Brenneman, the longtime voice and father of uh, a deep drive to left field by Castellanos. Oh, okay. But not, not the, the one guy. All right. Uh, next, you've got a rated rookie card. A cool. legacy card here if you will it is none other than sandy alomar jr oh nice here with the padres who he came up with think of him mainly with the guardians but 20 years in the big leagues for sandy alomar jr for a catcher man his knees i know he's coaching i he's i think he's like a first base coach somewhere but man those knees must be really hurting 
he played he played a long time and he he caught he DH'd a little but he caught his whole career. 1,377 games over those 20 years. In 1990, he was an All-Star, his first trip to the All-Star game. This was his first year also spent in Cleveland, and he won Rookie of the Year. He had had played two years previously, but in 88, he appeared in one game, 89 in seven games. And then he was traded by the Padres with Carlos Baerga and Chris James to Cleveland for Joe Carter, and he went on to win the Rookie of the Year there, so... You're going to get a half a point for Rookie of the Year. He was an all-star, and he won the gold gloves. So you're .7 right off the bat, which nice. is good because he's got two and one stirrups on. He <laughs> hit two ninety, oh, not a lot of pop, nine home runs, three twenty six on base, four eighteen slugging for a one oh eight OPS plus, and that equals a war of 2.4. I will take that. So that is three points even for you for Beautiful. Sandy Alomar Jr. Big one there. Boy, not a lot of power. 97 was his career high with 21. He only had three other years where he hit triple digit, uh, double digits. <laughs> not a lot of power for uh, for Sandy Alomar Jr., but that's a, it's a good card to get you going there. All right, next you've got a pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles. It's Jeff Ballard. Oh, yeah. Boy, I remember Ballard as an Oriole, but I, did, I think I just remember the card. Yeah, I remember the name. More than any, I, I don't really remember much about him. Let's see, though. Uh, seven years in the big leagues, five with Baltimore, two with the Bucks. 1990, he went 2-11. and 11. Oh, oh, good. Out of the bullpen. Well, no, 44 games, 17 as a starter. 133 and a third innings, gave up 152 hits and only struck out 50 while walking 42. Oh, that is, this, the year after, he came in sixth in the Cy Young voting with an 18-8 and eight mark. Oh, geez. Yeah. So let's see. All of this equates to a war of minus 0.8. Good news for you. He's wearing real stirrup. So it's only a minus 0.7. Oh, he did something right. Yeah, that was really an up and down, uh, up and down career there for. Yeah, I guess. He was kind of like Star Trek films. The even years were were good and then the odd were were off. (laughs) All right. Next, you have got. uh, I liked this guy. I'm. He had some pop. First baseman here with the White Sox. It's Carlos Martinez. Carlos could hit. Real skinny guy. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Martinez, father of Jose Martinez, who, let's see, is, looks like he's, well, he didn't play last year. He might be done. I'm not sure. We'll see. Let's see. Carlos Martinez, nicknamed Cafe. I don't know, maybe he liked coffee. Not sure. 1990 with the White Sox, appeared in 92 games, 224 average, 252 on base, and a 327 slugging, four home runs, 24 RBI, a 63 OPS plus, and that equals a minus 1.3 war. Well, I'm fielding a great team here. Well, he does have real stirrups on, though, so that's good. We're a well-dressed team, then. Yeah, so he's that's only a minus 1.2, but you're getting some oh, big no. chunks going the wrong way. That'll knock you back down to 0.6 in the positive. All right, next we've got a catcher. Uh, I believe this guy backed up one of your buddies, Brian Harper. It's Tim Laudner with the Twins. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think he was the starter, and then he lost his job to to Harper because Harper could hit a ton. You're getting some good – this guy's got – your team's got good stirrups today. Yeah. Their, their war <laughs> might not be exceptional, but they've got good stirrups. And unfortunately for you, Tim Laudner retired – 
or at least didn't appear in the majors again after the 89 season. Well, then we don't have to waste time going over his stats, do we? Well, get this. He did play. He did play nine games for uh, Portland in 1990, AAA club for the Twins, but then must have been injured or retired. And, and that was it. But you do get a positive. Oh, and he's got eye black on, too. So he's actually like your second best player today because he got you point two. <laughs> yes. Way to go, Laudner. OK, next, you've got a nasty boy. I, I don't remember. I think this might be your least favorite nasty boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rob Double Dibble. That's definitely my least favorite. I just made up that's that nice. name. I don't know if that's actually a thing. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. Uh, let's see. Officer or uh, Nasty Boy, a couple of nicknames. Let's see. 1990, good news for you. He's an all-star. Eight and three with 1.74 ERA in 68 games. Chipped in with 11 saves, 98 innings pitched, 62 hits, 136 strikeouts. Wow. He's a, a jerk, but man. What can he bring it? Yeah. Check this ERA plus. 229. Jeez. He was 129% better than the average. That's insane. Wow. That will equate to a war of 4.0. There you go. Nothing else. It's just a shot of his big, ugly mug. So nothing else is going <laughs> to gonna help you there. We're not going to look into his, uh, into his uh, stuff. We've talked about him before. We'll wait till we do our Nasty Boys episode to talk more. And uh, speaking of uh, guys that we are not going to talk about anything other than his numbers, your next card is none other than uh, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. Now, he could have had a good year that year. I don't remember. Well, here he is. Uh, he's pictured with the Orioles. Let's see. 1990, it was his third year in the big leagues. He only appeared nine games prior to this. He went one and two with a 2.54 ERA, all of it out of the bullpen in 35 games, 46 innings, and a 151 ERA plus. And all of that is a 1.2 war. All right. To the positive. I like it. Be gone with you, Kurt Schilling. That's all we're going to say. Next, you've got a guy I don't know. He okay. is uh, with the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is a good looking card. He's a good-looking gentleman. It's Jeff Hamilton. Jeff Hamilton. I think is. Did they make a musical about this guy? Is that? That's it. That's it. See, if I've got to type in the word baseball after his name, then you know that he probably wasn't around a whole lot. Six <laughs> years in the big leagues. No, I lied. Uh, let's see. 1990, he appeared in seven games with the Dodgers. He was with the Dodgers all seven years or all six years. He was in the big leagues. Being uh, only seven games, he's got a minus 30 OPS plus and a <laughs> minus 0.4 war, and I can't see his stirrups. I'm sure he'd be wearing real ones. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Uh, not much there for Jeff Hamilton. Not much here for Hamilton. He doesn't have much in baseball reference. Not much in Wikipedia. But yet he has appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated. October 31st, 1988, he, along with Oral Hershiser and Rick Dempsey, were on the cover. So Funny. that's <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This, this dude's a good looking guy. I'm, I'm guessing they probably put him there for a reason. <laughs> Position player throughout his entire career. He did pitch in a game in 1989, though, a 22 inning game against the Astros. He ended up taking the loss. He struck out Billy Hatcher and Ken Caminiti, but then gave up a game winning hit to Rafael Ramirez. Mm. So he strikes out two good hitters and then Rafael Ramirez, who... If I remember, he was a, not a big guy, 
but he got the two big guys, but couldn't couldn't put away uh, Ramirez. All right, so you're at five point six to your final card. Now your final card is wearing two and one stirrups right out of the gate, but your final card is a Hall of Famer. Oh well, that's positive. It is Robin Yount. Ha <laughs> ha! Nice. Or as as you like to call him, Robin, Robin Yount. Let's see what the kid did this year. 1990, no all-star. 89, he was the MVP of the American League. But in 1990, he appeared in 158 games at the age of 34, hit 247, 337 on base, 380 slugging, had 17 long balls, 77 RBI, 15 stolen bases, and an OPS plus of 102. And all of that equals a 2.5 war plus the one for the Hall of Fame and the minus 0.1 for the stirrups is a positive 3.4. That'll bring your grand total to nine even. Ooh, it's going to be a tough one to hold on to. Yeah, and you know, I feel that's about average since we've started just doing 10 cards. Yeah. I feel that's about average. About, you know, one and a half per card tends to be our, our average right now. But uh, you did get a Hall of Famer in there, so that's that's a good way to end up. Uh, of course, yeah, 20 years in the big leagues, all of it with Milwaukee. And uh, let's see, a two-time all or a two-time All-Star, two-time MVP, three-time All-Star, and three Silver Slugger Awards. And he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1999. There you go. All right. So uh, it's my turn now. I... I'm going to go with you. I'm going I'm to take the last six. I'm going to lose those. See what we got here. All right. So the last six. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. So I am going to lose Skates, a.k.a. Lonnie Smith. Oh, now I'm going to lose Hall of Famer Lee Smith. Ooh. We talked about him just the other episode. Catcher for the Reds, Joe Oliver. Kevin Romine of the Red Sox. Gary Templeton of the Padres, and Rob Murphy of the Red Sox. So except for Lee Smith there, I am not feeling a lot of pain, but Lee Smith could have been a good card. Yeah, overall, though, I think you did all right. Let's see, Lee Smith in in 1990. Oh, he was hurt that. Or no, he he split time between the uh, the Red Sox and the Cardinals. Went 5-5 with a 2.06 ERA and a 188 ERA+. plus. So that might actually hurt. What two point two war? I'm gonna miss out on. All right, let's see what we got. Starting out, we have got a pitcher for the Orioles, Kevin Hickey. Uh, just a name to make you chuckle. I'm not sure who that is. I am not either. I don't. I don't even remember the card. Kevin Hickey's got a good mustache on him. Six years in the big leagues, evenly split between Baltimore and the White Sox. 1990. At age 34, he went 1-3 with a 5.13 ERA, 75 ERA plus, and that is going to equal a war of minus 0.4. A good start, just like I did. Yeah, I'm actually ahead of you at this point. Yeah. So I, I like this guy right off the bat. He attended a, a, an exclusive high school in on Chicago's south side, but he was expelled for excessive truancy. <laughs> Uh, but the White Sox signed him after an open tryout. I don't. Do they still have open tryouts? I don't think they do. I have no idea. But get this. The reason I really like him, he was one of several former Major League players who appeared in Major League Two. Oh, there you go. He played the role of Shoop, S-C-H-O-U-P, who I remember specifically seeing that name on the back of a jersey in that, <laughs> in that movie. 
Okay, next, uh, I have got a pitcher for the California Angels. I believe he went on to be a pitching coach. He, likewise, has a great mustache. It's Bob McClure. Bob McClure. I'm trying to think. Baltimore? Milwaukee? Let's see. So, uh, yes and yes. Uh, No, no to Baltimore, just to Milwaukee. He, 19 years in the big leagues. Wow. You will uh, never guess with what hand he threw. I'm going to throw out that maybe he's a possible southpaw. You would be 100% correct. Of those 19 years, 10 in Milwaukee, then uh, various seasons in California, Montreal, Kansas City, St. Louis, the Mets, and Florida, his final year at age 41. In 1990, however, all of it was California, 2-0 in only 11 games, a 6.43 ERA, and that equals a war of minus .3. Ouch. Wrong direction, man. That hurt. Yeah, that's that's not good. Bob McClure uh, served as a uh, as a coach for several major league teams, including the Rockies, the Royals, the Red Sox, the Phillies, and the Twins. Nice. Oh, this is pretty cool. He was uh, a teammate in Little League with Keith Hernandez, huh. so he must be from the Bay Area because that's where Keith played Little League. Ah. Yeah, Oakland, California. There we go. I knew I liked him. So I am at minus point seven. Uh, next, uh, so far everybody has a a mustache, and get <laughs> this is funny because we just mentioned him. Shortstop for the Astros, Rafael Ramirez. He has come full circle. Yes, he he of the game winning hit <laughs> in the twenty two <laughs> inning ball game. <laughs> Let's see. I, I mentioned his height. He is six foot. I who would have <laughs> guessed? But only a hundred and seventy pounds. Let's see, Rafi, 13 years in the big leagues, uh, split it between Atlanta and Houston. 1990, he was the primary uh, shortstop for the Houston Astros, 132 games, very little power. He did have one year of 10 home runs, but beyond that, nothing above eight. 261, 299, 330 for his slash line, a 76 OPS plus. All of that equals a war of minus 0.4. Oh. Wow, yeah, I'm going backwards, but they're just little baby steps compared to your big steps. But still, I'm at minus 1.1. That's not where you want to be. No, I'm not uh, not headed the right way. Uh, he is from San Pedro de Macariz, though, in the DR. Oh, well. So you can't expect hmm. him to walk much. Right. Can't walk off the island. All right. Next, I know you've got a nickname for this guy. My first non-mustachioed player. Pitcher for the Tigers, Frank Tanana. <laughs> Frank Tanana Daiquiri. Very nice. Another good good pitcher. I'm going with Tanana Hammock because I'm a child. <laughs> but it does say Tanana Daiquiri here in, in baseball reference. So, <laughs> <laughs> 21 years in Major League Baseball for Frank Tanana. Came up at the age of 19 in 1973. Wow. Let's see, 1990, he was 36 years old for the Tigers. He went 9-8 and eight with a 5.31 ERA, 34 games, 176 in the third innings pitched, 190 hits, 114 strikeouts, a 75 ERA plus. Doesn't bode well for me. That is a positive .1. And he's got real stirrups, so that is a positive .2 for me. My best he had pitcher. Th- is where he pitched over 200 innings. I always just think of him, I mean, first of all, he's a lefty. Yep. Uh, but a, a kind of a light throwing, just innings eater. Yeah, big time innings eater. I don't know what his what his repertoire was, but I just assume it was mostly junk as he got older. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it says uh, early in his career he relied on a hard fastball, 
but as he aged, he uh, relied upon a repertoire of slower pitches. <laughs> yep. I mean, he is the quintessential left-hander, right? Yep. Pitched yep. forever, literally just got people out with junk. A crafty lefty. Crafty lefty, that is right. There are no crafty righties. <laughs> no. Anchored the California Angels pitching staff from 73 to 79 with Nolan Ryan. Nice. Which led to the saying, Tanana and Ryan and two days of crying. <laughs> In the vein of spawn insane and pray for rain. This meant, you know, once you get through Ryan and Tanana, if you're an Angels fan, you're going to be crying. <laughs> In the, in the days of a four-man rotation. Right. That's good. That's good stuff right there. All right. Next pitcher for the Bucks, Neil Heaton. Oh, Neil Heaton. Man, yeah, he was a... He was a pirate. Like, was he his whole career a pirate? 12 years in the big leagues. He was a pirate for part of it. He was okay. a part of a lot of other teams, too. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Cleveland, Montreal, Kansas City, Minnesota, Yankees, Milwaukee. Yeah, he got around. But, you know, left-hander. I, I got the all-lefty uh, squad here. 1990 yeah. was his lone all-star year, so I'm liking this. Went 12-9 and nine with the Bucks, 3.45 ERA. 30 games, 24 of which he started, 146 innings, only struck out 68, had a 105 ERA plus, and all of that equates to a war of 0.8 plus half a point for the All-Star, so that will take me up to a 1.3, but he's got the 2-1, and one, so it'll just be a 1.2. That'll take me back to the positive with 0.3. So you, you, your total is 0.3? Yep. And how many cards to go? Uh, I've got five cards left. We're halfway through. All right. So it's, yeah. Uh, but he is a member of the Suffolk Sports Hall of Fame on Long Island. Well, that's good. In the baseball category, in case you thought maybe he was like in the mathematical category, he was in the baseball. All right. Next, I have got a Diamond Kings, which did not work out so well for you. Let's see how it does for me. Uh, here he is, pitcher with the Brewers, Chris Bazio. Bazio was, um, I was there for his no hitter in the kingdom. I was listening to it in my uh, my was, apartment at Washington State. I remember our, our buddy Mitch got tickets, and we had these really good seats. And it just happened to be the day he was unhittable. Let's see. Nicknamed the Wizard. Okay, he's a right-handed pitcher, though. I would think that would be reserved for lefties. Eleven years in the big leagues, split between Milwaukee and Seattle. Nineteen ninety, not a great year record-wise, but we don't care about that so much. Four nine, four point zero ERA. Gave up as many hits as innings pitched. Not much of a strikeout guy, but a 97 ERA plus, And that will equal a war of 1.4 plus the real stirrups in the Diamond Kings. That'll give me a 1.5. Ooh. I like that. That'll uh, get me up to 1.8. Chris Bazio also served, we've mentioned this before, as a pitching coach for many teams as well. Uh, that no-hitter you mentioned was against the Red Sox in 1993, April of 1993. Yep. Walked the uh, the first two batters of the game and then retired 27 straight. So Very impressive. Almost had a perfect game. And uh, reading this, great play made to end it when Omar Vizquel barehanded a high chopper over the mound to throw out, to throw out Ernest Riles. It was a very good play. Yeah, I, now that was a good play. That was Omar Vizquel actually playing good defense. Barehanding it. Throw, yeah, it was, that was a good play. Next, we've got a guy, this guy I know played for a long time and has been a coach since. Here he is with the Cardinals, which is my team, so there is half a point right off the bat. It's Milt Thompson. 
Uncle Milty, Scooter, or Papa Thompson? Love them all. Good nicknames. Let's see. 13 years in the big leagues. Phillies, St. Louis, Atlanta, Houston, L.A., and Colorado to end up his career. In 1990, was the uh, everyday outfielder for the Cardinals. Played in all three outfield positions. He only hit 218, an on-base percentage of 292. This is not boding well for me. Six home runs, 30 RBI, 25 stolen bases, though. Wow, he had 46 stolen bases in 1987. Wow. That is a lot of stolen bases for Milt Thompson. 71 OPS plus, and that equates to a war of a positive .7. Well, you got something out of it. I saw that 218 batting average. I thought, hmm. Well, the on base is even scarier. But uh, defensively, he must have made up for it. I think, though, he's got the two and ones here. I, I'm pretty sure those are those are two and ones. So that's going to just be a positive 0. 0.6. That'll take my total up to 2.4 with just three cards left. All right. I am not sure I'm going to get a lot out of this guy. If I can spell his or pronounce his name correctly, even pitcher for the Royals, Rick Lucan. I think I remember him now that I look at that. L-U-E-C-K-E-N. Yeah, I remember that name. This font on the front of the cards made it look a lot scarier. I had to turn it over. and then Rick Lucan, only two years in the big leagues. Uh, 90, he split it between Atlanta and Toronto. Went one and four with a 5.83 ERA. So, as I said, I'm not expecting a whole lot here. And uh, that's going to end up being a minus .7. I think that's going to probably put this one out of reach with uh, with that kind of uh, that kind of stuff. He <laughs> was at one point. So he was drafted by the Mariners in the 27th round of the 83 draft and then traded with Danny Tartable to the Royals for Scott Bankhead, Mike Kingry and Steve Shields. Mm. So he was a Mariner at one point. So he fits right in with that kind of stuff that we yeah. like to. All right, next I have got a catcher for the Orioles who went on to become a very, very successful manager. Undoubtedly will be the National League Manager of the Year whenever baseball starts. Now with the San Diego Padres, it's Bob Melvin. Ah, uh, yes, Bob Melvin. Solid. Bob Melvin could could be a Bob Saget impersonator. <laughs> they look very similar. Very, That's very funny. similar. Uh, let's see. Catcher, 10 years in the big leagues. He played just about everywhere. Baltimore in 1990, he hit 243, 267 on base, and a 346. Slugging percentage for a 73 OPS. If you had to guess career stolen bases for Bob Melvin, what are you, what are you clocking in at? Four. Well, okay, you're looking right at his page, aren't you? No, I'm not. I'm totally <laughs> guessing. Is it really four? Four stolen bases, 13 caught stealing. Ouch. Uh, let's see. Defensively, he saved me, though, a positive .6 with the war, and he's got eye black on, so that'll get me a .7 and bring me up to a 2.4, and we go to the final card, my last hope, and it is back-to-back uh, players that went on to become managers. Here I have got one, Davey Martinez of the Expos. Oh, yes. Dave's nickname, Tippy. 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 Like Tippy Hedron. Tippy Hedron, yeah, or maybe he was just a good tipper. Not sure. Let's see, 1990 with the Expos. He was uh, their everyday center fielder, right fielder, slash 279, 321, 422, 11 home runs, only 39 RBI, 13 stolen bases, but 11 caught stealing a 107 OPS+. Plus. And that will, I need 
six and a half war here from Dave Martinez. And I don't rough. think I'm going to get it. <laughs> uh, he does have eye black on. So that will add on to his 2.1 war for a 2.2 that I'm well short at 4.6. Wow. That is a, that wow. is a blowout. And that'll bring your win total up to 15. You're closing in on that wow. uh, that championship. But uh, once again, thank you very much to Jeff Shamrock for these cards. I'll be saying his name a lot probably because we got a lot of, lot of cards here that he has donated. All right. So that's going to wrap up this episode of Wax Packs Heroes. Now, before we uh, do our traditional close out of the show here, and don't forget, we have got the full-length version of A Long Run Home coming up at the end of the show here from Rick Cerrone. Mark, I ask you a question. Not our official trivia question, just something I I couldn't come up with the answer myself. How many teams did David Cohn play for? What what did you come up with? Well, I could think of Kansas City, yep. the Mets. Yep. Those are the two that stand out the most. He, he pitched for the Yankees. Yep. And I thought Boston but like for it was like a trade or a half a season. Yeah. So he appeared in Boston in for one year in 2001. He went nine and seven at age 38. Okay. But yep. this is, I, I, I forgot Boston. I, you know, that was one year and I vaguely right. now remember that he was there just because I saw the answer. This was the other one I couldn't come up with. He played for two years, separate years with the blue Jays. Really? 1992 and 1995. So amongst his five World Series titles, one of them came north of the border. Huh. Yeah. I don't remember that. I Well, I do because I had just been posting uh, on my Ricky fact of the day about the uh, the 92 World Series. And there was David Cohn. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But I didn't realize he pitched there for two years uh, that were, you know, three seasons apart. Right. That's but funny. Toronto. Yeah. I'm curious to know how many of our listeners could uh, could come up with all five of those. Because I certainly, I only came up with three. But you came up with four. Congratulations. All right. Let's start to wrap up the show now. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so 24-7. Operators are standing by on all the socials. We are at 2StrikeNoise. That is at T-W-O, Strike Noise, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, all the links down in the show notes, as well as the fabled email address that we spoke about earlier that Mark's going to give you right now. You can reach us on electronic mail at two strike noise. Spell it out. T-W-O strike noise at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thank everybody for listening once again. This was so much fun. We're going to do it again next week. Right and I think we've already got our topic, which is rare that we know what it's going to be. It's going to be a fun one. So please make sure to join us. Let's once again, give a shout out to Fernand Cesarano. Cesarano. I don't know if I'm putting enough like Italian into it. Cesarano. But he uh, of getting to us on that email address and sending us uh, a copy of the long run home, which we're going to hear here as we say goodbye, so we will see you again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. The snow now hides the bleachers from this empty dugout scene. But here I stand remembering when the infield grass was green. I can almost hear the organ playing carols for the team. 
It's a 